Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 11. We're going to have some verses up on the screen here. Um, I've entitled this message, How to Convert a PDF Attachment. I didn't get this one out of a book. Um, it's just something that the, the Lord put on my heart. You know, whenever you get an email, and sometimes there's supposed to be an attachment, and it's not there. Like, you read the email, and it says, hey, please see attached document about so-and-so or such-and-such, and then there's no document attached. Anybody ever been down that road? Like, most of the time, right? And it's like, then the second email is, oops, I forgot the attachment. And, um, and a PDF is, uh, is, a, is a very popular attachment. Um, does anybody know what PDF stands for? Maybe there's like two or three of you in here probably. <laughs> I didn't even know what it stood for. It stands for a portable document format. Um, right, Justin? And uh, so it's, it's an electronic version, but you see these attachments. And, and when you think of attachments, sometimes those attachments are good and sometimes they're not so good. And when we look at the activity of, of God and what he wants to do in our world and in our culture, there's attachments to our lives that sometimes can be uh, detrimental and sometimes it can be assets. And, and the Holy Spirit wants to do so much in our midst and, and in our generation and in our region, but we have to take a close look at, at what our attachments are in life because our attachments can impact our ability to receive from God. And in John's Gospel, chapter 11, we read of, of an account that kind of lays the, the launching pad for this message. In John chapter 11, we read of the story of Lazarus. He was a friend of Jesus, and Lazarus had uh, two sisters, Mary and Martha, and, and they got word to Jesus that, that Lazarus was sick. And Lazarus ended up dying. Jesus did not respond right away. He, he was intentional about what he did, and he always was and always is intentional about what he does. And he ended up raising Lazarus from the dead. This was a supernatural miracle. He, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and, and they were at the funeral already, and they're mourning and weeping for his, the loss, and Jesus resurrected him. And his powerful miracle took place, and in chapter 11 and verse 45, it gives the details of what took place on the heels of that great miracle. It says in verse 45 that then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and they told them the things that Jesus did. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered a council and they said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. They were speaking of the temple. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did, not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. And then from that day on, the, the, the religious leaders, they plotted to put Jesus to death. So these religious leaders wanted to put an end to the activity of what God was doing. The Father had sent the Son, and the Son was empowered by the Spirit, and they saw these things, and they said, we've got to put an end to this stuff. And these were the religious people, and and, and they, they wanted to put an end to this because they were allowing a PDF attachment to dominate their lives. And their PDF was pride, it was doubt, and it was fear. So 
So you take those three letters, PDF. They, they, had, they had pride in their lives, they had doubt in their lives, and they had fear. Some of the comments they made, they said, they said that the, the Romans will come and take away our place. It wasn't their place, it was the temple of God. It was, and they said, this is our place, and they will take away our nation. Uh, the high priest was overseeing these, this council of religious folks, and, and he sarcastically says to them, you know nothing at all. In other words, it was a very degrading comment. It was, it was like, you dangling's. And, and, he, and he provides the solution. He's like, like you don't know anything. And he says, what are we gonna, they said, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this man who, who claims to be the Son of God, who is doing these supernatural uh, signs and wonders that we can't deny? And, and they're, 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 they're discussing this. What does our future look like if we allow this to continue? And friends, that's a question that church leaders around the world are still asking today. What will the future look like if we allow this stuff to continue? You see, these religious folks had a pattern of being filled with pride and, and doubt and fear. And one of the dangers that we need to avoid as a church, a church of Jesus Christ, as we interact with the activity of the Holy Spirit, is allowing pride or doubt or fear to attach to our lives and to be a hindrance, to be a roadblock to the activities of what God wants to do. And, you know, on most Tuesday nights, we have, we have some time where we'll, we'll share testimonies like Casey and Olivia did. They, they testify, testify of the things that God is doing, whether it's a supernatural healing, a miracle, uh, somebody is set free, divine appointments, just answered prayer, in, in powerful ways, and, and a lot of testimonies, and, and mighty works of God. And, and yet, like 2,000 years ago, Many in the religious community, they resist the supernatural because of PDF attachments. People will need healing. People will need to be set free. And, and you can tell them and say, this is what God is doing. And they say, well, that's really nice. Kind of like patting you on the shoulder. And it's, it's like, good for you guys. And, and many will, 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 will deny this opportunity to come and see what God is doing. I'm not saying there's anything magical about this place, but it's this, this mentality that, yeah, yeah, God does those types of things. And it's almost like a superstition. People will say, I believe that he's done what he's done, but, but to believe that he's still doing these things? And oftentimes it's pride. Pride comes in the way. Now, the Word of God talks about pride a lot. In Proverbs chapter 6, and verse 16 and 17, it says, The Lord hates a proud look. It is an abomination to him. You see, pride is, is seeing ourselves better than other people. It's, 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 seeing, it's seeing our wisdom is better than theirs. Like, like our knowledge is, is better than theirs. Like our understanding of the Word of God, our theology is, is better than theirs. Like, like our church is better than that church or that church. And that's pride. It's elevating ourselves and saying, we're, we're just a little bit better than everybody else. Or, or our kids are just a little bit better. They're a little bit better than them. And, and our neighborhood's just a little bit better. And it's a, it's a self-exaltation. It's, it's, it's lifting ourselves up. And, and, and the Word of God says that the Lord hates that proud look. In Proverbs 21 and verse 4, it says, Haughty eyes, a proud look or a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. It's sin. God hates it. It's sin. We see this all throughout the, 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 the Word of God. We read of a proud nation, the, the people of Edom. They're called the Edomites. 
the Edomites. These were descendants of Esau. And, and, and if you read into the Old Testament, into the, um, into the time when, when Moses took the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea and, and they approached the leaders of the Edomites, the Edomites and they said, hey, we want to travel through your area. We're not going to destroy your crops. We're not going to take anything from you. Just allow us to go through. And they said, no way. You will not. So they resisted them. And later on, these, these same people, they, they rebelled against Israel. These were the descendants of Esau. And, and, and later on, even after this, the Lord spoke through the prophet Obadiah in Obadiah chapter 1 and verse 3 regarding these people from Edom. And this was the word of the Lord for these folks. It says in verse 3, You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. And we read that Edom was eventually destroyed. They thought they were in their high place and they were so filled with pride. If I bring up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened to them and why did judgment come to Sodom and Gomorrah? Most of us, if we had to fill out a survey, we would say because it was their sexuality, it was their perversion, it was, they were twisting the, the ways of God, they were taking something good and pure and holy, and they were, they, were dis, they were distorting it. Yet listen to what God said through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 16 and verse 49. Sodom's sins were pride, number one. They were pride, they were gluttony, and laziness. That's how he starts off his list. This is the, the sin of Sodom, pride, gluttony, and laziness while the poor and the needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out as you have seen. Pride. We don't think of that when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, but that's what God was looking at. He said they were sticking their chest out and they didn't give a rip about other people. Yeah, the, the sin was the effect of it, uh, uh, the detestable sins, but it started with pride. I think of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 and verse 23. Jesus said, Pride is an evil thing from within a person that defiles them. Proverbs 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, somebody with a haughty spirit, it's an elevated spirit. In other words, they, they, again, they think they're better. They, they lift themselves up and almost always they're unteachable. Because nobody can teach me what to say because of this haughty spirit. It's like I've arrived at the epitome of, of understanding, the epitome of knowledge, and, and very seldom will somebody with a haughty spirit be teachable. I think of what James said in James chapter 4 and verse 6. He writes, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's interesting who wrote that. This was James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. The Word of God talks about Mary and Joseph having children after they were married and after Jesus was born. And James was one of them. And James, growing up, he grew up with Jesus, right? And, and, and he's his older brother. And then one day, Jesus announces that he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. And people in his hometown, they thought he was nuts. They thought he was crazy. And his own family was sucked into this. And he was critical of Jesus. But then, then Jesus went to the cross and, and, and after Jesus rose from the dead, the Word of God says that Jesus visited James. I don't know if he said, hey bro, it really is me. Whatever it was, he humbled himself. He realized that, wow, you are the Son of God. And, and he set his pride aside and he humbled himself and he got right with God, with his older brother. 
And, and it says in, in the word that James was on there on the day of Pentecost, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, he humbled himself. He realized that I can't do this life on my own. And, and, and he's the author that the Holy Spirit inspired to write, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It almost seems like God's got a little bit of a sense of humor, too, how he writes through different authors, and, and it's inspired, and yet there's this personal flavor that makes much, much more sense. It brings it to life. You see, pride stands in the way of so many receiving from God. Pride also robs people of using their spiritual gifts. We're going to have a time of, of an open altar at the end of the service, and, and it's going to be open for anybody who wants prayer. And pride says, I'm not going to go forward and get prayer. I don't need that. You see, when we, when we resist, even though the Holy Spirit may be prompting you, we're robbing somebody else of the ability to minister to you. Anybody know somebody who likes to give and give and give, but they have a really hard time receiving? Oftentimes that's pride. Oh, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give, but I don't want to receive. And that's pride. You see, when we refuse to receive, we're, we're, we're robbing someone else of the blessing of giving and allowing the, the work of the Holy Spirit to work through them. So, so I hope that just that little nugget there helps us to see that prayer isn't always about us. It's about what God may want to do through another person as they minister to us. Are we trekking on the same page? Okay, so, so there's, there's this blessing of giving and receiving, but pride has to be set aside. Not only does pride hinder the work of God, but so does doubt. Doubt, as we look at PDF, the word D is doubt. Doubt. That means, in, in the Greek, it means to be without a way, to stand in two ways. To, to, to be unsure of which way to go. It's almost like, the, like one foot is on a dock and the other foot's on the edge of the boat, right? And you untie the boat and the boat starts to drift and it's like, okay, which way am I going to go? You can't decide forever. You've got to make up your decision, Right? And this is the way doubt is. When, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders, they were, filled with, they were filled with doubt. I mean, think about this, friends. They couldn't deny what Jesus was doing was supernatural. This man was dead for four days. They knew it. They came and they mourned. And, 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 and you can't argue against a miracle like that. The man is standing there and he was dead. And, and Jesus had this track record of doing the supernatural. Jesus healed many people who had problems their entire lives. The, the blind, the, the people they knew were blind, they're now they're seeing and the deaf were hearing. And the people that they wrote off as, as crazy people, as maniacs, were set free from demonic activity and they were in the right mind. You couldn't deny that, friends. There were thousands and thousands of people that Jesus touched and families that, that were restored and they had their sons back, they had their daughters back, they had their spouse back from these, these crippling effects of the enemy. And Jesus set them free as He was destroying the works of the devil. And so we see these things that were so undeniable and yet the religious, they just weren't sure what to do. What do we do with this? You see, oftentimes doubt arises when we are faced with the activity of the Holy Spirit in a way that we haven't known before. When we see the manifestation of the Spirit of God, we've never seen that before. Maybe you're in a service and you saw one of the gifts of the Spirit and, and maybe somebody, according to Acts or 1 Corinthians 12, maybe somebody spoke in a, in, a, in a tongue, in an unknown tongue, and you're thinking, what's going on here? Somebody's speaking French or, or Spanish or what? And, and it's like, what was that all about? And then somebody interprets in English and it's like, oh, 
Okay, I understood that, but I didn't understand the first, and it's like, I don't know about that. You see, if the first time you've ever experienced something like that, there's doubt. Even though it's according to God's Word, it's, it's, a, it's a new revelation. It's, a, it's something new that the Spirit of God is doing. And, and, and we see examples of this in, in the Word of God. I think of in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus fed the 5,000. Okay, He did a supernatural um, a sign there. He fed 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves of fish and some, yes, a couple of loaves of fish and some bread. And um, we'll see who's awake. Um, so after he does this in Matthew 14, on the heels of this, it says in verse 22 that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. And, and while he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So we got Jesus walking on water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. I think that's an understatement. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. And so Peter stepped out of the boat. And he walked on the water. Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous and he was afraid and he began to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And it says immediately Jesus stretched his hand out and he caught him and it said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You see, Peter hesitated as his experience was trying to reconcile in his mind with the laws of nature because people don't walk on water. And that's what he was doing. He hesitated but notice his doubt did not foster a greater work of God. It sank it. The supernatural ended just like that when doubt came on the scene. And he said, why did you doubt? You see, friends, that's what doubt does. It's like putting a wet blanket on a fire. You would think after seeing a miracle like that, somebody would say, without hesitation, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you with everything for the rest of, the rest of my life. Now, it'd be easy for us to say, well, that was Peter. He was kind of a special case. He was written in the Word of God, and, and he was one of the pillars. He was one of the inner three. He was one of Jesus' closest, and there was, there was some sort of privilege here that Peter had to participate in this supernatural activity, which he was. However, friends, the same Jesus that invited Peter to step into a supernatural reality, friends, is doing the same today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is calling anybody into the supernatural lifestyle like he is? Friends, we cannot be a follower of Christ and not live in a supernatural life. We can't do it. We can't do that on our own strength. Just this past week, again, here on Tuesday, we had testimony of three different people being told that they have the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit to heal people. That God can heal people. And three people, for the first time, they prayed, they spoke to a body part, and they were healed. They were healed. And friends, these people have been serving God a long time, but 
but it was, it, was the, it was the nudging of somebody in love that says, wait a minute, the Word of God says that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus triumphed over this, ache, this pain, this problem in this physical realm. And so they, they said, I can't do it. And, it's, and, and the response, according to the testimony, was right. You're right, you can't do it, but God could do it through you. You just be the mouthpiece. You, may, you be the vessel. And lives were changed. It's don't doubt. Just say God at His Word and speak to the problem. You see, I could say with, with 100% assurance that every one of us, if you're a follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within you, you could do the supernatural. God wants to do the supernatural through you. And even as I say that right now, some of you are thinking, yeah, that's, that's reserved for the elders of the church. That's reserved for the clergy. I don't find that in the Word of God. If the Spirit of God lives in you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, you've been authorized, you've been deputized, as I say, just like a, 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 a deputy is, is deputized by the sheriff. And they have the law behind them. Stop in the name of the law. And friends, as followers of Christ, we've been authorized by the King of Kings in the name of Jesus. Stop. You hear what I'm saying? We've been authorized, and, 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 but doubt has to, to fade away. You see, the plans of God, they come to pass when God's people respond to his spirit without hesitation. I think of the Apostle Peter, again, a little bit later in his, in his life. <clears throat> He's getting sent, ready to get sent to the, to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. We got a man named Cornelius who's crying out to God and, and he's got a heart for God and so God taps the, the shoulder of Peter and says, Peter, I got an assignment for you. I want to send you to the Gentiles. And Peter was a Jew and Jews and Gentiles, they didn't mix. The Jews thought that the Gentiles were impure. They weren't good enough for them. And so this was a huge stretch and, and the Spirit of God spoke to Peter and said, Arise therefore, go down with these people who are coming for you, doubting nothing, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So the Spirit of God was saying, I don't want you to doubt a thing. Peter, I know this conflicts with protocol. I know this, this is the very first time for you to do something like this. And, and, and I know you don't know what others might think or say about you. But I want you to, I want you to trust me and don't doubt. Doubt nothing. Isn't, isn't that a good word? A good word that Peter received? And friends, I believe the Spirit of God is saying the same word to us today. I think of the same words that Mary spoke at in, in, in John chapter 2 to the servants at the wedding feast in Cana. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's some great teaching. Whatever he says to you, just do it. Don't doubt. And when Peter did this, the result was an amazing move of God in the house of Cornelius. So that's what, that's what he, he set aside his doubt. He didn't have pride. And then there's fear. This other fear, the F, PDF, fear. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees, they were afraid of what might happen. They said, everybody's going to believe in Jesus. You know what the interpretation of that is? They're going to they're they're swamp, they're they're swamp over to Jesus. They're going to flock to Him and they won't need us anymore. Everybody's going to be looking to this other person. You see, they found their comfort in knowing they were needed. That was, their, that, was, that was where they found their, their comfort. In other words, their identity was wrapped up in what they did for others. And if they lost that, in their eyes, they would lose everything. 
Jesus said in Matthew 23 and verse 5, speaking of these religious folks, He said they do all their deeds to be seen by others. You see, the praise of people was their umbilical cord. They fed on that. This this idea of, of this fear of rejection, not feeling important, it brought fear into their lives. You see, we need to remember that these Pharisees were driven by performance. They, they had to be perfect in all of their ways. They were always in the spotlight and, and they lived for words of affirmation. They lived for gestures of affirmation. And, and the thought that Jesus was going to do something that they didn't understand or they didn't authorize. Read the healing of the blind man in, in John chapter 9. They said, they said hey, this man's a sinner. And the guy said, I don't know if there's a sinner. You should know where this guy's from. You're the religious folks. And they just hated that. Jesus was doing things that they could not explain. You see, their foundation to their identity was their accomplishments. They worked hard at establishing their status as leaders in their culture. And losing recognition would be one of their greatest fears. But fears didn't originate with the Pharisees. It started in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, we read when, when sin entered the human race, Adam and Eve, they hid themselves. And in verse 10 of Genesis 3, this dialogue between Adam and God. And Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So one of the very first responses or consequences to sin, the very first one in the Scriptures is this fear. It's, it's, it's fear, you see. Fear replaced fellowship with God. In 1 John in chapter 4, in verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with consequences that are coming my way. Fear has to do with a penalty that has to be paid. And this is what the Word of God says, that, that there's, there's some punishment of wrongdoing. In other words, I'm going to have to pay for what I've done. And, and you see, friends, we have to understand, though, that Jesus took all of our wrongs on the cross. We don't have to fear punishment or penalties or consequences to our wrongs. Isn't that an awesome thing, the provision of the blood of Jesus Christ? When we take communion, like we we took communion last week, we were saying, thank you for the provision of the forgiveness of sins. There is is no penalties waiting for me. There's, there's There's no punishment waiting on the other side for all the things I've done. Jesus, you've already taken care of that. And by taking communion, I'm saying I agree that I am forgiven. I am guilt-free. There's no accusations against me. There's no shame. There's no punishment on the other side. There's nothing. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's why John says whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, the devil wants us to, to be robbed of our joy and our confidence in God. So fear is an indicator the devil is trying to convince us of a lie. Something. So what are the reasons that we have these PDFs, these prides, doubts, and fears? Well, they're instilled in us through ungodly experiences. And they're also instilled in us from the influences of the world. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. 
You see, friends, there's a philosophy in this world that sounds very convincing. There's, there's a lot of people on TV and on, on, on the Internet and on YouTube that's, that have a ton of charisma and, and, and they're, they're very attractive and, and, and they, they sound very convincing, even under this umbrella of Christianity. But, but friends, if what they're saying doesn't line up with the Word of God, we have to flush it. We have to flush it. And, and, and you see, friends, we, we must be so careful as to what we listen to, what we absorb, and what we read, and who we follow, that, that popular preacher, that, that person at work who seems to have their act together, and he seems so successful, and, and you say, I just want to be like them, and, and whatever they say, I'm going to latch on to, or that, that teacher at school, or at, at the college, even mom or grandpa, we think, you know what, mom or grandpa would never lead me astray. And I'm going to just hand everything they've said. You know what, friends? They were broken people too. And they didn't have everything squared away all the time neither. That's why we're instructed in 1 John, in chapter 4 and verse 1, where John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, friends, there is an unseen spiritual world that is trying to deceive us and trying to convince each one of us that God is not true to His Word. There's a a spirit world that's trying to convince us that God is a killjoy, and that if we want real fun, we do things this way. There is a real spirit in this world who would want to deceive us and to convince us that we can't trust God because we prayed for this and this happened. There's a real spirit that's trying to, to convince us that God is not able to fix our problem, that he's not able, that he's not interested, that, that, that you're not good enough. We've heard this, it was shared at camp, that, that your past has just disqualified you from being anything in the kingdom of God. Friends, there's deceiving and there's lying spirits that would want us to believe these things. All of these feed into pride and doubt and fears. That's why we're instructed in 2 Corinthians 10.5, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Where are these arguments taking place? Where are these lofty opinions trying to prevail? Right here in our minds, in our our thinking processes. And the power of these dominating our thinking can harden our hearts to what God wants to do just like with the Pharisees. And we can become hardened. You see, friends, the largest hindrance to the spread of the gospel isn't evil. It's not corruption. It's not the powers of darkness. It's pride. It's doubt. It's fear impersonating the voice of truth in the minds of religious people. You see, the greatest roadblock Jesus repeatedly encountered here on earth was the religious community. They even came out and said, if we resist him, more people are going to believe in him. They recognized that they were were a source of resistance. Now if we fast forward that today, how much resistance does the Christian church in our generation generate towards the supernatural work of God? You know what the answer to that is? It's very sad to say it's a lot. Majority of the churches will downplay and resist the supernatural work of God in our generation. The majority of Christian churches, they say, yeah, that's great what he did back then, but God does different today. Majority of the churches are 
are propagating that from the pulpits. They're saying, well, yeah, we believe that God can do anything, but really they don't. They never step into that. They never, they never expect it to happen. Again, it's more superstitious. And you see, friends, when, when church leaders, and they say, you know what, God did those things back then, but he does, he does things a little bit different today. That's like spewing just poison, and the, and the spiritual powers of wickedness say, yep, you're just stuck the way you are. Just be glad you're saved and you're going to go to heaven one day. And just, just bear with it. Just hang in there and hope for the rapture. Right? Isn't that what the spirits want us to believe? Don't, don't think you can thrive. Just survive. Just survive. Just get through another day. That's your goal is to get through another day. And friends, that's not the way, that's not what Jesus went to the cross for. He came to give us life. It's for freedom that we have been set free. Amen? We just sang about this. Either we were singing it, we meant it, or we were singing it just because those were the lyrics in front of us. Right? You guys know I love you, right? You see, these are the things that can hinder the work of God. And, and I'd like to say we're immune. We are immune to pride and doubt and fear. I, I'd love to say that, but that would be a prideful statement. And my fear would be you'd be filled with doubt about me from this point on, and so I'm not going to say that. So what are the keys to overcoming this pride and doubt and fear? We'll wrap this up. Well, we need to recognize them. We need to recognize them in our own lives. You know, it's really easy to look at someone else and say, boy, they got issues with pride. They're always doubting. They're always questioning the Word of God. Or look at all the fears in their lives. But, but friends, what about ourselves? You see, until we recognize and acknowledge these attachments in our lives, we won't address them. We're going we're, we're gonna to think, you know what, I don't, I don't have those types of things because I'm, I'm better. I've arrived. And we just don't see that consistent with the, with the, even with the life of the Apostle Paul. He said, man, I, I just, I, I'm just beginning, is what he was saying. So how do we rid our lives of these toxins? We convert the PDF to Word. <laughs> to the Word. What does the Word say? You see, friends, when we, when we look at pride and we boil it all down and we look at the hundreds of verses, hundreds of verses on pride and on doubt and on fear, when we boil it all down, what we see is, is these references to these attachments are obstacles to the finished work of Jesus Christ. You, we, can, we can nitpick and we could read thousands, or not thousands, we can read hundreds of scriptures on these things and but when you boil it all down, it's, it's an obstacle. It's a hindrance to the activity of what God wants to do. It's, 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 it's something that comes in the way. And You see, when we understand the provision of what Jesus did on the cross, and when we understand the reality of the resurrection and all that entails, we will not remain in pride and doubt and fear. That, that PDF will be converted. In other words, instead, of these, instead, our lives will be marked by an attachment to truth. And that truth is another PDF, praise, dominion, and faith. A new PDF. We'll praise Him for His faithfulness. We'll praise Him for His grace. We'll praise Him for His mercy. We'll praise Him for His loving kindness. We'll, we'll praise Him for His goodness. We'll praise Him for His provisions. Rather than have pride, we're going to turn into people of praise when we understand the provision. Instead of doubting the supernatural, we'll step into it. We'll walk in dominion over every power and principality and every spiritual being of darkness. We'll walk in dominion over sickness and disease. 
We'll walk in dominion over every fear and worry. We'll walk in dominion over every weapon that's been formed against us. We will walk in dominion. We will walk in dominion over the sting of death. We will walk in dominion over the temptations that faces our lives. We'll walk in this in this praise. We'll walk in this dominion. Instead of buckling in fear and insecurities, we'll stand firm in faith. In faith. A faith that, that provides supernatural peace that guards our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. A faith that says, with God, all things are possible. A faith that says, if God is for me, who can be against me? A faith that says, I know who I am, and I know why. I know my purpose. A faith that says, I was created by Him, and through Him, and for Him. I am a masterpiece. That we would understand, this is what the Word of God says. A faith that says, I can come boldly to the throne of grace in my time of need and find mercy and grace. A faith that says, a faith that says God's love for me is beyond measure. A faith that says, I am no longer a child of fear or a slave of fear. I'm a child of God. A faith that transforms you see, friends, we can look at these Pharisees and say they were just, they were so, they were so blockheaded. But we have to remember, friends, they were looking forward to the cross. They were on the other side of the cross. We've got the whole story. We've got the whole story. We see that Jesus went to the cross, but we also see that he was raised from the dead, that he's victorious. So will God have more mercy on those Pharisees who are on the other side of the cross? Or will, he, will there be a stricter uh, a sense of accountability to what we know? Because we know what they didn't know. Is there a higher degree of accountability? Is there a greater hope? Is there a greater promise that we can build our lives on? I would say the Scriptures say yes. A solid foundation. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we thank you for revealing truth to us. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our region and this generation. And, and Lord, we know that, that these things of pride and, and thoughts of doubt and, and fears are still hindrances to what you want to do in our region. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to see ourselves, Lord, to examine our own lives. And that we would understand what you did at the cross for us. And Lord, I pray if there's even one person here today who's never surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, even in this moment they would say, Jesus, I receive you. I put my faith in you, my confidence, my trust. I want to build my life on you. Take my pride and doubts and fears. Maybe everybody doesn't know about them, but but we know our own. And Lord, we ask that you would replace them with truth and that our mouths would be filled with a, a song of praise and if we would walk in dominion, we would walk in the authority and the power that you have authorized us to. And that we would walk in faith, an unwavering faith, as we reflect you to a watching generation. Lord, I thank you for the work you're doing in our midst in each one of our hearts and lives. Continue, Lord, to show us Show us the truth, and that truth will set us free. 
we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? If the Lord is speaking to your heart, I do want to invite you forward. We will pray for you. The, the worship team is going to lead us just in one more song. This is, I just pray that you would just take this, this and recognize this still as a holy moment, that God is, for a few more moments, he just wants to speak to some hearts. And if the Lord is prompting you and saying, you know what, I'm going to come forward and I'm going to get some prayer at the end of the service. But then we just say, God, just open the eyes. Open, me, open my eyes. I want to see you. And that would be our heart's cry.